1: You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lupiton. I've been the frontman of the California Roots Orchestra Dust Bowl Revival for 10 years, and I've been touring in bands since I was 14. And I've always wanted to ask my favorite writers and music makers, what really makes them tick? What makes them write the songs they write? This is my chance to find out. In this episode, I talk to The Wild Reeds, a harmony-rich folk rock group with three lady lead singers based in L.A. known some of these gals since they were in high school, and I was pretty pumped they allowed me to record this in their house and performance space, the Gal Palace. We talked about their songwriting sisterhood, how you're supposed to act when you hear your own song being played in a Whole Foods parking lot in El Paso, and the rules of writing brutally honest breakup songs in the Me Too era. Let's go. Can you please introduce yourselves?
2: I'm Sharon Silva. I'm Kinsey. I'm Mackenzie.
1: So... We're going to be talking uh, sort of about your evolution and your songwriting process, but I want to start off with some weirder questions that maybe you weren't expecting, since, you know, bands do a lot of interviews these days, you're probably tired of the same questions. What is the worst green room that you've been in?
2: Oh Probably that really cold green room in Colorado. Where were we? Oh, that was the worst was Blank place. Range. It was very oh, wait, cold. Was we had yeah? like three blankets that we took in from the van. I just remember being freezing, very, very uncomfortable. They didn't give us any drink tickets. They like laughed in our face at the bar. And like the show almost sold out too, I think. And it was a pretty big room.
1: Have you seen the movie Green Room?
2: No, but I've heard of it. Isn't it like a horror movie where yes. they get stuck in it?
1: It's maybe my favorite movie the last five years. <laughs> What do you think is the most underrated music town in the United States right now?
3: That's a really good question. I like
4: Charleston.
1: Oh, really?
2: Yeah. But what like, what, like, what, bands are from there? Susto the and Shovels
3: and Rope. Oh. And they have Highwater Fest now, which is really exciting. I feel like they're sort of putting music on the map with that festival, um, bringing a lot of people in from out of town.
4: Also, great bands in Philly. Mm. Lots of great bands in Philly right now. That's true. Yeah.
1: What would you tell people about the L.A. scene that they don't know, to not be so afraid of coming here?
3: I think there's actually a lot of scenes within the music scene in L.A., and often when we travel other places, it feels a little bit like a smaller scene and everybody knows each other, but I try to explain to everyone that regardless of genre, there's something here for you. There's a folk scene, there's a psych scene, there's a hip-hop scene, there's everything, so you just kind of have to find your niche, but once you find it, it's abundant, for sure.
1: Do you feel like a lot of groups like you guys, and I've known you, a couple of you gals since you were teenagers, (laughs) do you feel like there's this evolution from a little more of an old time traditional folk thing to a little more of an electric rock and roll progression right now? 100%.
2: Why
1: Why do you think that is?
2: I think it just has to do with trends. I mean, different styles come back in and then people change their world around it, kind of. You know?
4: Yeah, I also think like Mackenzie was saying, there's a pocket of different kinds of music all over the city and I think just like naturally there's a fusion of people going to different kinds of shows and being inspired by different kinds of music and incorporating it into their band.
1: When was that switch for you guys? Is that was that kind of an organic? I had an
2: electric guitar the first day we started the band. (laughs) So (laughs) we just didn't have a rhythm section. So we got louder and we reached more of a potential, kinda like what you're saying, like to broaden the horizons horizons of the songs when uh, Mackenzie and the guys joined um, a few years in.
1: So let's go back. 2009 is sort of the maybe official founding year of the Wild Reeds. When I knew you guys, it was much more of a a three-part harmony, sort of dreamy, old-time folk thing. And I think the L.A. scene especially was very embracing of this traditional roots thing. Flash forward to adding Mac and the boys. How did that happen?
4: I think it was just a natural progression. Uh, We always wanted to have a full band. And when Natalie stepped out of the band, we found Mackenzie and the boys and just kind of like beefed up our sound. And like with like new people comes new inspiration and different songwriting. So we were able to, especially with Mac, with her songwriting, like change it up a little bit and not be like insecure about growing up And we always say, like, going through puberty together with our sound.
1: What what did you find when you came into the group, like, the chemistry of you entering into this already formed situation?
3: Well, I was just excited to be in a band at all. I had been looking to play music with people for, like, nine months and was just like, does anybody want to start a band? So I was really honored when they asked me if I wanted to even audition. How'd you meet? Uh, Sharon and I went to college together. Kinsey went to college next door so i already knew sharon peripherally through friend groups and seeing her at shows and i knew their band already um and i'm i'm a huge fan of folk music and roots music in general so it wasn't that far of a stretch for me i mean i'm also a huge fan of rock and roll and i think like sharon was saying all of our our tastes have sort of grown into this thing where it's like we don't know what genre we are but it's kind of become this funky fusion of three songwriters in our backgrounds and there will always be folky elements but you know, we live in L.A., and there's a bunch of other elements that have come out, too. Because
1: you guys all lead sing, right? Yeah. Which is pretty unique. Yeah, and we and, all write, too. And you guys all write. So, yeah, I was going to ask you guys, when you write a tune, do you always see yourself singing lead, or is it you guys pass it around and see what works?
3: Um, generally, yeah. Once in a while, we'll write something maybe with someone else singing a verse in mind, but we really haven't done that, at least since I joined the band. There's a song... That the girls did that on before i was in the band but i think it's because we write from a very personal place most of us it's hard to imagine the other person or another person singing about your breakup or <laughs> whatever it may be but we're definitely open to it and we sing on each other's songs like 75 percent of the time so we're all kind of on mic together but yeah we all sing lead generally on the songs we write
1: tell me about the two boys playing rhythm
3: the boys squeakers. nick and nick
1: <laughs> the double nick
3: they're great they're a great rhythm section, our bassist is insane and is so wonderful about helping us with arrangements and fun chords and switching things up and our drummer as well is like really willing to try all kinds of different stuff rhythmically or if we want percussion. or So they're, they're very patient with us and I think that they've added a lot to our sound and we're really lucky to have had the same rhythm section for five plus years. You know, you see a lot of bands go through different musicians, and somehow we've been able to stay together with those guys.
1: When did you start going on the road full-time?
4: We toured for at least a year or two years before we quit our jobs.
1: Can you please tell us where you were working when you quit your jobs?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was working retail jobs. I was working I was working at Anthropology and the container store. The Container Store I was there for a really long time, and it's exactly what it sounds like.
1: You know that the Wild Reeds is on the con- on the anthropology playlist, right? What? Yes. My sister also worked there. The
3: irony! I, didn't know that. Know that. Wow. I wanted that so She's bad capable. when I worked there. Oh, funny!
2: <laughs> I remember I heard leftover cuties at Anthro and I was like, oh, yeah. oh, "I know that." Like telling <laughs> my coworkers, and they're like, "Cool." <laughs> like, <laughs> I
1: also heard you guys while shopping at Whole Foods in Virginia. For the yeah. I was like filling up my like quinoa bowl. and I was like, mm. <laughs> that was a yeah. victory
2: that we when we, we heard screamed that. in the middle of Texas or the new El Paso Whole Foods. I don't know if you guys have hit ran that up. The parking lot. I was so excited. yeah, lot. I was already back in the van with somebody and trying to eat my sushi, but it's a bad idea even to get that at Whole Foods in Texas. And yeah. I was like running to the front, and every, we were each taking videos of it in disbelief. It's
1: a good segue to the next question. Your favorite dish that you've had. In the last year on the road,
2: mm, I don't know. What well, um, we always eat really well in New Orleans. We like do the touristy gumbo thing. Yeah, that's like good.
1: what really blew well, your mind?
2: I the know. boys are obsessed with oysters. We got some backstage at Newport, and mm. they loved that.
3: Yeah, the gumbo at Leauses by the Tracks in New Orleans is pretty insane. I would highly suggest that.
2: Yeah, best Mexican food is here. <laughs>
3: like I Tex
2: Mex. Like okay, breakfast tacos are awesome.
3: The breakfast tacos in Austin. But, Yeah, nothing compares Uh, to a Veracruz truck are, like, oh, yeah. unparalleled. Yes. Yeah. I
4: don't really take a lot of joy from food when I'm on the road anymore because I try to, we try to eat healthy, and so I'm not, like, looking for the best thing. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I'm just looking for something green. I know. Yeah. We're all going to agree.
3: Our, okay. our friend Jason French is an insane yep. chef oh. and runs a restaurant, owns a restaurant called Ned Ludd in Portland. That was the best. And he spoiled the crap out of us before we played Mississippi this last time. Oh, it was we it were... Mississippi Studios. Yeah, yeah, Mississippi Studios. And he, it was, like... These courses kept coming that I don't. I can't even tell you what was in them. But (laughs) if you have the opportunity to go there, it's the most like beautiful, curated, rustic menu of all time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you try to cut yourselves off forty five minutes before you go on stage and eating? It's pretty tough. Think we all have a different thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I need like as long as possible, or I like. Learned the hard way. We've. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really hard. I'm like I'm not fully functioning right now. I just ate.
3: Seeing full is like a disaster. Yeah.
1: The uh, the song Fall to Sleep, for me, had this has this sort of Weezer Nirvana vibe going on.
4: Like that.
1: Kind of feeling like it could be about former 9 to 5s and breaking free of that. But there's this line of, you know, the hardest part is getting out the traps we've set ourselves. As writers, what do you think is your biggest obstacle to creating stuff that you're proud of?
2: Well, that's a fun one that you mentioned. Just wanna I don't think I have an answer yet, but Mac actually wrote that line, and Kinsey wrote the song, so Kinsey had like a few like placeholder lyrics, yeah, and then grabbed Mac was like, "Take this, I'm not using it," and it was like, so fitting.
3: We were on an airplane. Yeah. We were trying to find we were on an airplane trying to find a bridge for that song, and that was like a chorus of another song, and I was like, "Well, man, the content fits." Yeah. You need
4: a bridge here. It really like brought the song together. That's like my favorite part of the song. That part um was about well i i took it as like kind of about me previously a hard part of dedicating myself to music and changing and being becoming a different writer was like allowing myself to change and that's like a theme that we're like going through with our band all the time is like allowing each other to change because we know each other so well so i would say like that's a really hard thing for me and i'm more excited about that now but it was really hard change has been like a really hard thing in my life <laughs> growing up. So uh, as a musician, like, you have to go with the flow and things change every single day and you can't get comfortable, so...
1: What was the seed of that song? Like, what what spurred that song? Do you remember?
4: Uh, I think just, like, work. Like... Uh, We would do our 9 to 5s and then we would show up at practice an hour later and then we'd go to bed and we'd get back up again and do it again.
3: You didn't tell
1: us where you guys were working.
4: Oh, yeah,
3: I I was a nanny for five years for an amazing family, so I got very lucky. They let me go on the road and pushed me and believed in me and gave me guitars and I owe a lot to them.
1: That's awesome.
4: Yeah, I worked uh, at my my grandfather's uh, delicatessen for several years. (laughs) So I sliced... Sliced meats and cheeses, and, yeah, that's what I did.
1: <laughs> I've been threatening to go to that deli for, like, seven years. It's so good. It's so gone. good. Old world, world
4: deli. deli. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. If you're going out to Joshua Tree from L.A., it's off the 10. Uh, There's two of them. you got two options.
3: <laughs> Does anybody else have an answer for what you think the, I th- the hardest part is or the trap?
1: The trap. Yeah, the trap that keeps you from, from being your best self or your best creator.
2: Just get yeah, like like going off of what Kinsey said, getting comfortable. Yeah, you you absolutely can't. And it's easy when you're working. I mean, the ironic thing is I didn't work a nine to five, I worked like a four <laughs> I worked like a one to five or like a, <laughs> like, oh, I can work Great. for two Nixon hours match. today. Yeah, and I can work an overnight or five AM to eleven AM. Um but yeah, I would say that's it, like When you get into a rhythm, it's really hard to break out of it. But I thought that song. Whenever we play that song, she introduces it as like about our jobs and like nail on the head what you're describing. But I always just think of the person you were dating at the time that you wrote that because it makes me picture that person all the time. I'm like, oh, holding on to something sweet. That's so.
4: I don't even know who it was.
2: Oh man, I miss him. Like he's cool. (laughs) It wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't even long enough for you to remember. (laughs) What is the
1: What is the protocol? (laughs) because obviously you break up with people, they break up with you, and you're still friends with them sometimes, and they support your music. They probably listen to your music. And as writers, what do you think is the line that's sometimes too personal versus honest?
4: In writing about
3: somebody? Yeah,
1: like what is the distance that you separate the person from the music?
4: I mean, I want to say like, you can't get personal enough, but then you're also, like, you have to keep the person's privacy in mind, and uh, you don't want to destroy anybody, you know, with your songwriting, but you definitely want to be what if, honest. What if
1: they deserve to be destroyed?
4: Unless you want it. Why also, are you looking at me? <laughs> there's, also, <laughs> there's also, like, a it's funny clear. way of, like, when it
3: comes to love songs, people are so willing to put people's names in them and just flat out say it, oh. but then, like, in breakup songs, like, you really don't want to say the person's name, but... We've found over the years that the more specific we are with, like, imagery and situations, even down to, like, street names and, like, moments in rooms and the color of, like, mm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. the more people relate, even though it's not their circumstance. Yeah. Because Specificity. They have, yes. Mm-hmm. They have their own version. So we're really into being as as brutally honest as we can with respect.
2: But we haven't used names yet. To the person. No. We have, we have like, like, nicknames, like, goldfish or, like, something like that. Like, you use, like, animal or whatever. But it's, it's really funny that you bring that up because, like... With all the, like, Me Too stuff happening right now and Time's Up, like, I've been thinking about that a lot in songwriting. And and it's like, how much is too much? Like, I don't think I'd ever use a name, but at the same time, it's, like, been frustrating for all of us when people are like, oh, yeah, that song's about blah, 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 oh, right? And you're gosh. like, no, it's not. Yeah. Well,
1: there's always the, you know, I think when people <laughs> but, start to really follow you for a certain amount of years and mm-hmm. they care about sort of you guys and your personalities and your lives, Yeah, they start to wonder what's going on behind the curtain. Right? right. And I think, uh, you know, there's always a bit of an uncomfortable relationship between a writer and the audience about like how much you really reveal, because I think there isn't the point of certain poetry and, and songwriting is the mystery of it that right. everyone can interpret right mm-hmm. in their own fashion. Um, there was a, if you get a chance, you should watch the new a- Avid Brothers documentary on HBO. I want HBO. to, it's, yeah. But the, he was talking about that song, uh, Divorce, Separation, Blues, whatever. Yeah. Oh, and he's yeah. like, there's so many breakup songs and there's like no divorce songs. Yeah, how <laughs> weird no is that? Because no one really wants to talk about it. It's yeah. like this failure oh, wow. of your too. life, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's like, do you feel like certain heart... Heartaches or, or failures in your past is actually a wellspring of material and and that you you can be grateful for later.
4: Oh yeah. Sharon calls breakups the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> I'm I'm like chipping
2: away at many, and I'm married.
1: <laughs> well, like, I'm
2: sure you are too. <laughs>
1: well, it's like a, I would say it's like a, an ink uh, well yeah. of rage. Yeah. yeah. That you can constantly dip in, regardless of how happy you are now.
0: Yeah,
3: it's funny how, like, sadness and anger can lead to so much inspiration. I mean, also, falling in love. We all, in the last couple of years, have gotten a lot better at writing about mundane things in our lives, jobs, and all kinds of other stuff, like Sharon was saying, like, the, the stuff that women go through in general. Writing about that subconsciously without even realizing, and then being like, this is sort of anthemic. and So we, we're trying to tap into other things, and there's a lot, I think, one of the coolest things about the last year, like, 2017 and 2018 in America, is the amount of art and music that people have made out of, like, all this fear and uncertainty. And, like, if you look at the 60s and, <laughs> and you realize it was, like, one of the most insane artistic musical renaissance situations we've had because the politics were just out of control, that's kind of one of the cool things that comes out of when everything's effed up, is there's yeah. a lot of inspiration.
1: Do you find that young girls are looking up to you guys?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we've been surprised. We feel very honored. Yeah. We we like haven't really been able to play a lot of all ages shows up until recently too. So when we've been getting into bigger rooms, it's like all ages are eighteen and over and we're like, Oh, they're like these teenage girls that are actually listening and it's it's really neat because it, it puts us back in that place of going to shows and just like hungry for it.
1: If we can go around, what was the first show that blew your mind? that you can remember that you ever went to?
3: I remember crowd surfing at a Mighty Mighty Boston's concert in 7th grade and I was like this is it like this is what I want to do with my life.
1: <laughs> you ska I, band?
3: Yeah I was I played saxophone all through junior high, nice. high school, so that was my that was my scene was the ska scene but I think a band that shaped the way I now function in a band is this band called five iron frenzy i was super into them and i used to write them letters and they would write back and i went to like a bunch of their shows and followed them around and had actual friendships with people in the band so now when people write us emails or drop us a line about something i always think about it's okay take time respond because you were that 13 year old kid that got letters back in the mail and it rocked your whole world Mm -hmm. and made you want to be in a band
1: what about you
4: I started going to shows when I was like in high school. Before then, I didn't even realize that I could find music on the internet that wasn't on the radio. So I am kind of a late bloomer there. Um, I went to go see a Damien Rice show, and this band called The Swell Season opened up, and they blew my mind. And Glenn I'm a Hansard. huge fan of yeah. Glen Hansard. His performing, it's like his, his ideology of what a performance is has like really shaped me as a writer. He uh, actually was somebody that inspired me to start playing guitar because all I used to do was sing with people and then I realized that I wasn't able to stand on my own and I don't know I was just really inspired by one person with a guitar being able to rock a performance of thousands of people so that and then I remember like one of the first shows that I bought a ticket to myself was Coheed and Cambria, and I loved it <laughs> he had a double neck guitar <laughs> that
2: explains your double neck guitar future so weird future double guitar <laughs> I like really can't decide because I've been like shows are my main like source of inspiration but I'm gonna try to do quick versions of three shows when I was 12 I went to a show at the Fillmore Auditorium in San Francisco because I grew up in Northern California Um, There's this Swedish pop group named Play, and Mm -hmm. they were on, like, you know, Disney or, like, Nickelodeon, like, their music videos and stuff, but they, like, harmonized, it danced, and it was so cheesy, but I was so inspired by that and really wanted to be in an all-girl group that would harmonize when I was a kid. And then, flash forward, like, two years, I was at a hardcore show at the YMCA, and I was like, man, (laughs) like, I wish I could do this, but, like, it's not in the cars, like, I'm a girl, like, even if I'm ever playing guitar, like, I can't, like... Tap like that. Like, <laughs> that sounds really weird. Um, Hardcore shows at but like the YMCA. Energy. Yes. Well, I was from a very small town and like we just had to throw shows in like weird churches and then the YMCA and stuff like that. Portuguese dance halls. Yeah. Pretty yeah, the S D E S hall. And then like a year later I went to Santa Cruz and saw Bright Eyes for the first time and was completely changed, like forever and ever amen. And I went with um, a friend of mine from high school, but we weren't really friends. We were just the only two people that we knew of who also listened to Bright Eyes. Her last name was also Silva. And so Whoa. we were like, this is so strange. Um but yeah, the auditorium kinda of feels like a it kind of feels like a uh, what do you what do you call the places where people play basketball? I can't even think. Gymnasium. What it's yeah, it feels like a gymnasium. <laughs> and at one point during the show, people started singing along to first day of my life. And he stopped the song and told everyone to stop singing because it was making him nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember, like, like nowadays I'd be like, oh, what a, like a freaking punk. Like, wh- why would you say that, dude? Like, these are your fans. But as a 15-year-old kid, I was like, dude, whoa. Like, yes. Oh, my God. I'm so
0: sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All
1: right. We're going to get into the creative exploration part of this podcast. So as, as writers, I want you to think of... The first thing that pops into your head, whether it be a song or a place or a situation, when I mention the following phrases or things. Okay. A snowy day. Just first thing that pops in your uh,
2: head. Then Snow Day, the Disney Channel original movie.
1: Ooh. All
2: right. <laughs> wasn't oh, that an original? No, it wasn't. We're there. thinking
4: of
3: songs.
0: No, no, it could be anything.
1: He said whatever in, okay. in there. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, the yeah.
4: There, the there was a movie, was right?
2: Snow
3: Day. Yeah. A
1: snowy day.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I'm literal. Frosty the Snowman <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thought. Classic. What's that musical? What's that musical where they sing da, 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 with Bing Crosby? White oh, Christmas. White Christmas. Okay,
1: all right. We'll start from here this time. A French kiss. Like if you started a song. Thinking about a French kiss, the first line would be. I mean,
3: the first thing I thought of was Frank Sinatra. <laughs> wow, like right. like, like yeah. really sassy music. I, I think don't know. of
4: two dogs licking. Ew! Oh. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom. <laughs> that's.
1: Your mom is the first thing you think of. No, 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 no! That's not
0: what I.
2: <laughs> no, I was just going Ew. off of that. We were like way too obsessed with dogs in my family, and she'd be like, "Oh no, he was trying to French me." <laughs> like, <laughs> so <laughs> gross thinking about it. <laughs> I guess that's what I think of. Yeah, God, that's, no, it's there's sick. no there's no wrong answers here.
1: We got Frank Sinatra. I like that one. A broken heart.
2: Probably my worst breakup. That's what I think of.
1: How many years ago was that?
2: Four, maybe.
1: Do you think that informs Three, a lot of your songwriting four? right now, still?
2: Yeah, yeah, at least one of them. Yeah. I feel really pathetic, but yeah, that's what. It
1: means. No, but like, do you think like it's a way of processing, or do you think, like it's dwelling?
2: It's a it's a processing thing. It's it's weird when you get out of a relationship and the person kind of just vanishes.
1: Mm.
2: I mean, we can call that like ghosting mm. nowadays, but you or have abandoned. you have no contact with them, mm. and you aren't like reminded of them or in any way. It's very rare nowadays for that to happen I feel
4: like I think of trying to draw a broken heart and wondering how many cracks are in it that's what I'm thinking of
1: so like more visual (laughs) yeah do you like paint or sketch
4: no I mean I was just talking to a little girl the other day about how I used to really like doing that and just like dedicating time to drawing I took a couple like drawing classes in college I think it's really nice to be, like, to work on something for, like, three hours, and your mind is totally blank except for, like, what you're working on. So I really like that, but I haven't done that in a long time.
1: A broken heart.
4: Uh, I thought of that line, which I can't remember if it's a Burrito Brothers
3: song or a Grand Parsons song, where he says, an empty bottle of broken heart, and you're still on my mind. Mm. I think it's just a Grand Parsons song, but that was just, like, the first line.
1: Fountains of Wayne also covered that song. Ooh, <laughs> really? yeah!
3: I have to find that. Interstate
1: Managers, oh, one of the my best gosh. albums ever. All right, last one. Rock and roll dream.
2: Uh, that makes me think of the band Kiss. Immediately,
4: I'm thinking of a genie in a lamp, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, amazing. and asking for my dreams to come true. <laughs>
3: Mine was Suzy Quattro. Like I immediately thought of Suzy Quattro being like seventeen with a bass and like an all boy backing band and just ripping in her silver suit. She's like my rock and roll dream. Did
1: cool. you did you play in a bunch of other bands before you got in here?
3: No. No, I played music my whole life growing up, and then when I went to college, I just I grew up with so many freaky, savant, amazing musicians that I... Where are you from? I chickened out. I'm from L.A. Are you from L.A.? Yeah. So I got a degree, and then after, I was like, man, I still want to be in a band. <laughs> so that's kind of how this Sucker. happened. is I, like, the dream wouldn't die. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> you know? no, it's, it's the best. What do
1: you think, because uh, obviously uh, there's a lot of romanticizing of the touring musician and... Yeah. Well, you get, to, you get to get up there and the lights are on you and everyone loves you. Obviously, we know different, you know, what the real sacrifice is and what um, that entails to do it full time. What is like the one thing you could tell someone that they wouldn't know is happening when you're a touring musician?
4: Uh, I think it's really interesting thinking that like no matter what state of mind that you're in before you go on stage... You have to, you always have to perform, like, no matter what. So, like, it would be really interesting to, like, I don't know, to check in with our mood every single day and something that's going on that's bothering us or whatever. Like, I don't know. I think it's really interesting to think of, like, a a musician as a real person and grandma could have died and you still have to go up there. and
1: show must go on.
4: Yeah, and do your thing, you know? I also think one thing that a lot of people don't know about touring is that
3: it's not um, glamorous. I mean, a very small percentage of bands are, like, truly in buses and staying in five-star hotels and flying all over the world. A lot of us are just in a van flying down the interstate, and it's, like, one of the most, Yeah. it's one of the most, like, draining and intense lifestyles, um, because you are trying, like Kinsey said, you're trying to give all of yourself for, like, an hour, hour and a half every night. But like you might be going through a breakup. You might be sick. You might be really tired. You might be trying to call home because someone in your family is, you know, and like you've dedicated yourself completely to being within two feet of the same four people 24 hours a day. But it just goes to show you how much we believe in this one and a half hour of our day. So we're willing to go through all kinds of strange human emotions.
4: Yeah, I want to to add to that. There's, like, a couple things that come to my mind after that exercise. There's, like, three instances that I can think of that kind of help you understand... What other people think? Somebody saw a uh, Lone Bella's tour bus and asked if it that asked if, if that was ours. They're like, oh, you're gonna get on your bus. We're like, that is not our bus. <laughs> a guy saw me driving our own van and was like, you have to drive your own van? Whoa, that's They're crazy! Like laughing at us. And I was like, oh my it's god, weird. And then one time, a family member of Sharon's asked her like, what's so hard about touring? All you do is perform for forty five minutes, and that's yeah. all you do all day. That's like your whole schedule. And we're like, oh my god,
1: who asked that? A family
2: member. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uncle Mo, I'm
1: throwing you under the bus, Uncle Mo.
4: Way to go, Uncle Mo. But people don't understand that, like, as soon as you wake up in the morning, you are working. You are working. And the only time that you get, which, Zach, you and I were talking about this before we started the podcast, is, like, some people do meet and greets. For us, that's the only time of the day that we have to ourselves. We have, like, two hours to, like, after sound check to maybe find something to eat or walk to a coffee shop. And... So oh, when you're touring, yeah. yeah, you're like always working, and it's it's funny to like find people that are so naive to that, and we're like, oh, you think I work for forty five minutes a day, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. no. you
2: think somebody sets up all this gear, or packs the trailer, or drives, or yeah, pumps the gas. <laughs> my,
1: my favorite part of the of the like awkwardness of that disconnect is when you're especially on a big show. Sometimes when you obviously you know groups at this level like you guys you don't have your own crew you don't have right. you know <laughs> yeah. so you you blow people's minds right the lights go down and, you come and then back you out. come back up <laughs> so
0: and depressing. take your stuff like with yeah. like like
1: skulking on stage sort of like so and depressing. then some people are like want to talk to you on stage um, you're like I just I gotta clear like, my like they're gonna cords. kill me if I don't
2: get off the stage with all yeah, my stuff like, right, me right now in my bedroom real quick
3: before I can hang out <laughs> it's like yeah. so awkward like yeah.
1: the the transformation from being like rock goddess to like Rody. like roadie is like within like 30, 30 seconds, seconds of the lights so going depressing. down so
2: depressing I'm like oh, I can't even wear this because I've got to pack up my gear tonight like ah oh, man I'm gonna rip these tights also like re- re- watching
3: people's reactions to us carrying our own things Like, amps. they're appalled people are like are you dude I can't um, are you seriously she's seriously doing that and you're like dude I do this because like you're four times a day well yeah, yeah I mean
2: you know we've 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 dished it out with you before like about yeah, I hope people are like, where's the band, ladies? Like, stuff like that. That doesn't happen anymore. But yeah, people are like, oh, you, you poor dear, let me, that amp is bigger than you. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, God, yes, I could probably fit inside mm-hmm. it, but that doesn't mean I can't carry it. <laughs> also on tour, you lose everything. Like, don't bring anything precious to you. You will lose it. Okay. Except for, I mean, God forbid, the wedding ring that I'm wearing. <laughs> everything else that's important I've lost.
1: The uh, the topic we were talking about, about the sacrifice and sort of feeling that this is an important thing that you guys have to do, right? What is the goal you think each night when you get up there? Like, what, what is what is your hope when the lights come down of, like, what you're trying to relay? Mm.
2: I don't—I think I just want to be real is the bottom line. And if I'm having a really hard day, I'm just thinking or praying, like— please just let this, like, be real, even if, like, I can't handle it right now. Like, let something come out that's totally true. Um,
1: like giving people a real experience. Like yeah, something that exactly. Can feel like, stuff. let it
2: come out of me. If it's, Like, I know that it's not, like, me, me tonight, you know? But yeah. I guess that's, like, the bottom line. There there's some songs where it kind of feels like you're on a soapbox a little bit, and that's a cool feeling. But you know that it's different in your own head than it is out there, you know? Like, do you
1: feel responsibility to bring people catharsis?
4: Not responsibility, but...
2: Yeah, I I, I think it's just, like, a nice chance to. Because, I mean, music is cathartic. And, like, when I go to a show, I kind of want to be taken out of my headspace and enter someone else's.
4: Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, it also really depends on the audience. Like, you kind of pull the energy from whatever's in the room, and Mm -hmm. that's what you give, you know? So, like, when you have, like, A couple people that are like singing your songs in the front row that are looking at you like so lovingly it just kind of like turns the show up a notch uh because you feel really supported but i think it's really hard going on stage when there's like a feat within the band and we all try to like put that aside when we get on stage a
1: what within the band like
4: a feat like some like issue or like someone's frustrated with each other like those are like the hardest shows to play Mm. so we try to like Mend a, any any brokenness within, like, our team as we can before we go up there. Do
1: you do, like, a team huddle before you start? Yeah. Sometimes, Sometimes. We've
4: become more ritualistic this year. We used to just, like, go
3: on stage and now we warm up more, we stretch more, we try to get quiet for ten or so minutes before we get on stage and get centered. Because it really has made a huge difference for all of us. Sometimes the green room can be a party, and it's, like, not the regroup place, and oh, you kind man. of need to lock the door. And mm-hmm. I love when
4: people come to shows, and they try to party with us hard, and we're like, oh, it's, they, no, We no, disappoint no, them no. so bad. Well,
1: also, like, talking before a show for, like, is really, really hard bad. on the voice. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah,
2: like, or let alone in the bar, like, freaking Uncle Mo's out there, and he wants to talk. Uncle Mo. And I, I love my Uncle Mo, just for the record. <laughs> we hung out a couple <laughs> days ago, and went to Real Inn in Malibu.
1: But it's like my favorite place ever. So good.
4: Is that where we went out with? We get clam chowder, like right on the ocean?
1: That was where I brought my now wife on her first date.
4: Oh, really? Wow. It's so good.
1: She's obsessed with good? shrimp.
3: Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's your like, nickname. We got shrimp. I was like, where can I
1: where can I get her some shrimp? Good oh call. she's so
3: cute. Yeah.
2: Oh my god.
3: Also, to answer that question, I think a lot of like we because we were all such hardcore showgoers as kids like sometimes it hits us over the head that we're on the other side of it and I still can't comprehend that sometimes when people like stand up front and know the lyrics I'm like you're joking right yeah this isn't that was me that still is me at shows so it's not it's not lost on us that like music is one of the like coolest places where people peacefully gather in a room and like are not in disagreement and people who don't know each other are like smashed up against each other it's like a very strange thing to provide for people is that space did
1: you write all songs only songs? Only songs, yeah. right. Yeah. Is that sort of symbolizing that music is the only religion that kind of functions in a way?
3: Yeah, it, it actually came from like feeling really rejected by somebody romantically and then feeling like, you know what, the one thing you can't touch or like the part of me that you can't offend is like, I can still make music and that's my favorite thing, mm-hmm. you know? And as much as that song feels a little cheesy to me now cuz it's 3 or 4 years removed from writing it, like it's still true. I mean that's the reason why we we all do any of the things we're doing is because of that feeling on both sides being the kid up front and being the person mm-hmm. providing entertaining.
1: Okay, we're going to do one more creative exercise and then we're going to play a song. Cool. So, I'm going to hand you guys three notebooks. Uh, this is called oh. The Bake Off. Oh. <laughs> Paula Vogel, who was the head of playwriting at Brown University and Yale and different places, has this concept called the Bake Off.
4: I think I have a pen in here.
1: Where everyone is given the same first line or the first idea, and then they run with it. And the ridiculous variety of stories that come from one line it's kind of amazing to behold. And I think that's kind of one of those things that, uh, as writers, you know, as three ladies in our society right now, you each have similar viewpoints, but as we saw with just that first (laughs) line of questioning, you know, a French kiss, Frank Sinatra, dogs, your mom thinking about dogs, you know, it's like there's everyone's brain is so different. So we're going to, (laughs) <laughs> this can be a, a poem, it can be a story, it can be a thing. It's two, uh, We're going to do five minutes, okay? And the line that we're going to start with is... The tree was growing into her mouth.
4: Do we have to incorporate the line into whatever it Yes, is?
1: so it, c- it connects from that line. And we'll be right back. We are now going to read the tales that came from this first line. Sharon, will you start?
2: Okay. The tree was growing into her mouth. (laughs) Comma, though it had no intention to. She slept peacefully in a bed of grass and roots. How freeing to have lost all sensation and irritability. No visitors and nowhere to go. This must be what you get at the end. Parentheses of the road. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's funny because she's dead? The
1: road. <laughs> Alright, right, Kinsey, you're up.
4: <laughs> okay. Uh, the tree was growing into her mouth, the roots grew into the walls of her chest, her arms, her legs. The two became rooted in each other. Not one could live without the other. Mm. This is long. <clears throat> Max got a long one. <laughs> she was going for
3: it. Sorry, I couldn't I couldn't stop. This is a little bit long. I don't even really know what it means, but The tree was growing into her mouth. She'd never had anything grow into her, only out of her, her ears, her hands, her head. She ate from the tree. She raked its dead leaves. At times, she felt invaded. At times, she felt full. She cried with the tree. She kissed the tree. She thanked the tree for its fruit and its death. She worried the inside of a girl is no place for a tree because there isn't enough sunlight. And the only bird that can perch is the one in her chest. Finally, she asked the tree to leave. They could never be one and the same, and perhaps one day she'd like to sit under it.
1: Very nice. That's awesome. So before we uh, get to our final song, can you just tell us uh, what you guys got coming up?
4: Uh, We're we're currently writing. Uh, I think we've had the longest break that we've had since we started touring full-time, from December until March. We're doing a couple shows in between, but... um, We are writing music and hopefully putting down a record in the early part of this year, and we will be touring throughout the summer, winter, and fall.
1: And your last record, uh, The World We Built, which is on dual tone. Yeah. um, That was your first sort of signed record, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Do you feel like uh, it's helped you get your music out there in a larger scale than ever before?
2: Yeah, but we still have to do, like, a lot of work. Like, I kind of am like, oh, we have a label. Like, here we go. Let go. Take a back seat. But that's not true. But
3: they're they're really good pals. They're really cool.
1: That's kind of all hands on deck now these days. Oh, yeah. You know?
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, if, I think if you're at a big label, you run the risk of being at the bottom of the pile. And if you're at a smaller label or an indie label, it's still collaborative. So there's... Just, you can look at it either way. But mm-hmm. we have a killer team, great radio team. They're all really supportive... So we feel very lucky.
1: Do you have songs that you've been working on already that you think will be on the next record or you Mm -hmm. just Yeah. Yeah. Tons.
4: Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna have to sift through some. We have three songwriters, so the the writing process is a lot faster than other bands. So Or not. (laughs) Or we all just take a back seat and we're like, Oh, you got this.
1: How do you set ego aside of who gets whose songs on the record?
2: Who says we do that? I'm just kidding. We try to we try to even it out. I think we all try to like pump out as many songs as the other, but it's it's hard like to be inspired when you're just trying to kind of have something to show, and so I think that's a line for me at least. So I'm I'm trying to be like. I'm still writing for myself, and then if it goes on the record, great. You know? Yeah. If not, that's okay. We'll either get to it or you know it's not gonna die. So.
3: We also do just try to keep it fairly equal, like yeah. as equal as but you know down to yeah. a, a song or two, just because we like how that sounds on the record and the way that that feels. People aren't used to sharing the Yeah, it's a different experience. Yeah. yeah.
4: And if everybody puts their best two songs or best couple songs forth, then, like, we'll have a great record, you know?
1: Well, I'm really uh, proud of you guys, and I'm really, you know, it's been awesome seeing your, your growth and your evolution, and I know it's, uh, you know, the reason I'm doing this podcast, I think, is to show people... What maybe it's really like being a creative person who does it full time as their life, mm-hmm. and it's something that isn't as glamorous as people think, but it is also sort of the best and worst job,
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: ever, yeah. right? Yeah. And before we go, we're gonna have the Wild Reads play us an acoustic song.
3: This song is called New Ways to Die. Mm.
1: Once again to Kinsey Lee, Mackenzie Howe, and Sharon Silva of The Wild Reads. Check out thewildreadsmusic.com for tour dates, music, and more, and you can head over to thebluegrasssituation.com for past features on The Wild Reads, including a list of their favorite roadside stops and attractions dispatched from the road. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupitan, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs, with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the BluegrassSituation.com. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail.
0: This is the story. This is the story of Kurt Cobain, of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob
3: Marley. This is the story of Prince.
0: It's a new podcast series
3: about how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after.
0: It's like nothing you've ever heard before.
3: It's storytelling.
0: But it's more than that, because rock stars,
3: they tell us how we feel. They change our mood.
0: They change the clothes we wear.